Welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this podcast episode. It's uh, March 2018. I hope the year has started really well for you. It's becoming really busy for me. Last week, I spoke at a conference for leaders and managers of uh, small businesses and medium-sized businesses. This week, I'm speaking at a travel conference in Melbourne. Next week, at a franchise group in Sydney. And the week after that, for a large organization for their leadership team who's implementing a new innovation program. And the week after that, uh, I'm back in Melbourne again, speaking for another organization talking about uh, employee engagement and the future of work. So yes, it's a busy start for the year and I hope it is for you as well. Today I want to talk about a topic that comes up sometimes in my conference presentations, but quite often when I talk to people at the breaks or after my session. And that's the topic of Bitcoin. Now, there's a very good chance that you've heard about Bitcoin, but many people have heard about it and they know people who have invested in it, or maybe they've heard about people who've invested in it, uh, but they don't really know a lot about what it means and uh, what the implications are, especially for business. So, So today I want to give you a big picture overview of Bitcoin and the technology underlying it, which is known as blockchain. Uh, Both of those things have currently got a lot of hype, Uh, Bitcoin particularly in the public consumer media and blockchain in the business media. And I want to help you understand what that means for you personally and for your business. I ran a webinar about this recently, a month ago. So this podcast episode is the recording from that webinar. And of course, that's just the audio recording, but I think there's enough in there for you to understand and follow and go along without the slides. But if you do want the slides, I have made them available as well. Uh, so if you go to gihanparera.com and click the resources link and then go to the podcast page, you'll find a blog post about this particular episode. And on that page, not only will you find the recording of this podcast episode that you're listening to now, but you'll also be able to download a copy of the slides that I use in the webinar. So feel free to use them and track along with them as you listen to the webinar. But that's optional. I do think that you'll probably get enough just by listening to the audio. So let's switch over to that now. So today I want to talk about Bitcoin and blockchain. It's one of the uh, most talked about topics, technology topics uh, around at the moment. Almost every day you see some story of somebody who's either succeeded using Bitcoin or they're failing using Bitcoin or the, the price has come up or gone up or the price has plunged or Bitcoin investors are going to Puerto Rico to set up a uh, a conference or sh- show what a Bitcoin-like world could look like. There's a whole bunch of hype around it. And I want to help separate a little bit of the hype from the reality and uh, tell you where I think that uh, we should be looking at Bitcoin and uh, and the underlying technology behind it, which is called blockchain. Okay, so I feel that because we're talking about money today, I need to make this disclaimer right up front uh, that uh, anything I'm giving you is not financial advice. Now, um, this is true for almost all the webinars that I give you anyway that uh, that I very rarely talk about money. And uh, in this case, even in the, today's webinar, I'm not really going to talk about whether you should be investing it in or not or what the value of it is and whether it's worthwhile. But I just want to make this point here that uh, please use your own judgment before you invest in anything and uh, you know, seek proper financial independent advice, not uh, just an educational webinar uh, to, to make any sort of investment decisions. So um, I'm not going to give you any sort of advice about investing in Bitcoin or not or um, but I'm just 
as because we're talking about money, I'm just being careful and just pointing it out right at the right at the start that uh, in no way is this meant to be um, a guide to you making financial decisions. It's a uh, more education and a little bit of information about what Bitcoin is, so that you can understand it from mainly from a professional business point of view, rather than as a as an investment tool. So the three things I want to talk about today um, are very much at an overview level. So what's the problem? that Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies are trying to solve. So in other words, why why is it there in the first place as opposed to just something that's bright and shiny and new? Um, then what is it? So just give you a little bit of an overview of what it is and how it works. And then what's next? So what's the future of it? And uh, you know, where do I think it's going? Okay, so just to get started, let's let's see what you know about Bitcoin. I'd just like to know, like honestly, where are you with Bitcoin? And um, What's your current knowledge of it? So I'm running, I'm going to launch a poll here and uh, just tell me where you are so that we, and I'll show the results so we know who's in the room. So the options are, you know, nothing or very little about it. Um, you know, you know what it is, but you haven't invested in it yet, or you've invested in it, um, or you're quite an advanced investor in that you're actually making money from it. So I'd like to know where, where you're at the moment. And I actually know personally, I know people in all of these four categories. So I know people are making money in it. I know people are losing money from it. I know people who are just dabbling in it and uh, haven't got anywhere yet. And I know people who have very little knowledge. Okay, great. Thank you for voting so quickly. Okay, so as you can see here, most people, in other words, it's actually quite a good split, it's almost an 80-20 split here, that most people haven't really invested in it yet. So they're, they're fairly new to it. Uh, they may have heard of it. They may know a little bit about it, but haven't invested in it yet. So that's good. And that's the level at which I'm going to pitch this today. Okay, so here's the thing. So I'm going to give you the, the summary first. So the summary of this webinar, and I'll show you this slide later on as well, is that at the end of the webinar, I'm going to say that I reckon when you're talking about Bitcoin, blockchain, when you're thinking about it for your business, I reckon the best thing you can do at the moment on my current assessment as a business tool is do nothing. This is what I'm going to come up and say, this is what I'm going to say in 25 minutes time, because I reckon at the moment it's a little bit too early to make any sort of predictions about it. And I think you'd be completely safe in like leaving it aside. Now, that's not to say that it might not turn into the best thing since sliced bread. It might. But at the moment, there just isn't enough uh, evidence behind it for me to be able to safely make any sort of predictions in in that regard or um, to be to be even able to say I've got a basis for suggesting that you should do any more than that. So if you feel like hanging up now and uh, um, going back to your normal work and uh, then you don't want to spend the next 25 minutes with me, that's fine. Uh, that's quite okay because that's, that's what I'm going to end up by saying. Now, what I will do, though, if you do hang around with me for the next uh, 25 minutes or so, I'll give you a little bit of a background into what it is how it works and uh, where I think we should be going. And uh, just so, so, so you know a little bit so that if someone talks to you about Bitcoin, at least you know where they're coming, where they're coming from. And uh, if somebody brings it up, uh, you know, in a business conversation talking about Bitcoin or, or blockchain, you can at least ask them some intelligent questions about it rather than your eyes glazing over. Okay, so Bitcoin is one of those technologies that's way up there on the hypermeter um, at the moment. It's so, you know, there's a lot of technologies that have had a whole bunch of hype around them, and Bitcoin is the latest. Now, hype by itself is not a bad thing. I really don't think it is. There's a, there's a lot of hype about a lot of technologies, and some of that hype 
turns into reality. So let me tell you to start off with where I think we are with the, the Bitcoin hype versus reality. And I'll, I'll do that by giving a couple of other, other examples of technology hype and uh, technology reality. So if you remember, I'm going to give you three examples here. Remember the dot-com boom uh, right at the start of the century? So about 20 years ago when the web was new, people were starting to build websites and there were these big dot-com websites and uh, then there, that, that bubble burst. There's also Pokemon Go a couple of years ago. Remember that little that game that came out and uh, there's a lot of hype around that and that bubble burst pretty quickly as well. And now we have Bitcoin. So let me tell you, let me show you for each of these three, there's, there's hype, there's potential. So actual, like, can this turn into something real? And then there's actual um, substantial stuff behind it. So if you remember the time of the dot-com boom, there was a lot of hype around it. Uh, and the, there's a lot of potential as well because there was this, it was backed by this thing called the World Wide Web. And uh, there were people actually creating websites at the time of the dot-com boom. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of really highly valued companies that crashed when the dot-com bubble burst. But at the time, there were also a whole bunch of smaller companies and um, substantial companies that were building really effective websites. And I know it because at that time, I was uh, running a web design company. It was one of Australia's first web design companies. And in fact, maybe some of those website clients are still on the line at the, um, on this webinar right now because you remember at that time, there's a lot of hype but there were also solid websites that were really supporting businesses and helping them make money. So at the time of that hype, it, there was a lot of actual solid stuff happening uh, in addition to the hype. Pokemon Go was a little bit similar. So again, there's a lot of hype. And again, the potential behind it was not so much about gaming, but there's this thing called augmented reality where you hold up your phone to the real world and it shows you overlay stuff on top of the on top of the real world. So augmented reality was actually happening at the time of Pokemon Go. So there was some stuff actually happening around that area. So again, it was one of those things where there's a lot of hype. And uh, at the time, I was saying, look, there's a hype around Pokemon Go, but really look at what's underlying it, which is augmented reality. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happening there. And in fact, that has grown. So it's now growing to meet the hype uh, behind augmented reality. Bitcoin, again, there's a huge amount of hype at the moment, and I think there's a huge amount of potential behind this technology that, that underlies Bitcoin called the blockchain. The problem is when you look at actual actual implementations of blockchain technology in, in useful areas, there's almost nothing that's real. There's a, so lots of people are talking about Bitcoin, they're talking about blockchain, but almost all the talk is about potential and future opportunities and when this happens or this could happen. There's, there are very few real examples of it in practice. So this is why um, I think that the Bitcoin and blockchain are a little bit different from these other technology hype, because until I see some real examples of it in play, I just go, look, this is just, it's theoretical, it's hypothetical. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that is hypothetical with potential that until you actually see it in practice and being used in use cases around the world, you'd have to be a little bit wary about it. Okay, so that's where I'm coming from. So let's talk about, given that, given that there isn't a lot of real stuff around that, let's talk about what it is and what problem it solves. Um, I should warn you that my overview of Bitcoin, given that we've only got about 15 minutes for me to describe it to you, is a little bit vague and fuzzy. And in some cases, 
It's not quite inaccurate, but it might be a little bit um, fuzzy around the edges. So if you know something about Bitcoin and blockchain, you might say, oh, no, he's not talking. That's not Bitcoin. That's uh, Ethereum and that's smart contracts. It's not about blockchain transactions. And I, I go, yeah, you're right. But uh, I had two choices. I could either go in a lot of technical depth, but I think that would confuse you and I wouldn't get through much at all. Or I could simplify it in a way that you get the basic concepts of Bitcoin and blockchain in in a half hour webinar. So I've chosen to go down the latter path. And if you know a little bit more about it and you see that I'm making some some statements that aren't strictly true, just understand it's not because I'm trying to mislead you, but it's just because I've simplified it to get the, the, the basic concepts across. So um, I hope this will give you just a fun, foundational starting point for understanding Bitcoin and blockchain. And then at the end of the webinar, I'll give you a couple of other books that are really good if you want to get into some more of the details. Okay, so first of all, what's the problem that, that Bitcoin and blockchain are solving? So what's the problem that Bitcoin is solving rather than just being some bright new shiny object? Uh, is, is it actually solving a real world problem? And it is. So here's a problem that we're solving. So let me give you an example. Let's say I go to a restaurant and I have a nice meal and I don't have any cash with me. So at the end of the meal, I go up um, and of course I need to pay. But how do I pay? Well, I don't have any cash with me, but I can use my credit card. So why does this work? Why does it work that I can pull out a little bit of plastic, hand it over to the restaurant owner, and they accept that, and I can walk out of the restaurant without them calling the cops? Okay, so why does this work? Well, it works because, let me show you the, the pros and the cons. So it works because of trust. So we trust I, that the credit card that I'm holding um backed by financial institutions and, the, and MasterCard or Visa, um, is going to make sure that the restaurant owner gets their money. So I trust that the restaurant owner is only going to get their money and nothing more than that, and they trust that they're actually going to get money, that there's money that uh, I've got in my bank account somewhere, and by swiping my credit card or tapping it, that they get access to that money, and that money is going to turn up in their bank account the next day. Okay, so this is, this is because there is... Uh, we both trust in this intermediary. Of course, there's some negatives to that. So, for example, there's some fees that uh, I pay. Uh, so I might have to pay a credit card fee. The merchant might have to pay a fee to, to run their account and to, to take transactions. And there are some delays in the transaction so that transfer doesn't necessarily happen instantly. Um, so the banks get to hold on to the, uh, our money for a little bit of time. And um, there's some privacy issues. So yeah, I'm giving my money over to um, a bank and a credit card. In, uh, sorry, I'm giving my transaction details and my buying history over to banks and um, financial institutions. And there have been examples where, for example, there was one bank in the U.S. that sold credit card information to car dealerships because uh, the car dealerships figured out that when people are about to buy a new car, they tend not to do major upgrades like buying new tires. So if they've got a pattern of buying tires every few years and then suddenly they stop buying tires, and they figure out they're about to buy a new car, so then they send out advertising about their new cars. So, you know, you're giving up some of your privacy by having the convenience of using credit cards. And then there's this uh, whole idea that you're part of a system, you're part of the, the government has access to your details, the tax office has access to your details, uh, political parties somehow could get access to it. So you're part of this big system. And some people are worried about that. Uh, most people aren't, but some people are. So what's the alternative? What if I didn't want to use my credit card? Could I just do it over a do it with a handshake? Just say to the restaurant owner, you know what? I'll pay you tomorrow and just walk out. Would that work? 
Well, maybe, maybe there are a few restaurants in my local area where I could quite happily do that because they trust me. They know me. They know I'm a regular and they know that I'm going to keep my word. But in most cases, when you've got these two parties who don't trust each other, there are four possible problems. So one is that I might break my promise. I'll say I'm going to pay you tomorrow or transfer money into your bank account, but I don't do it. The second one is that I could spend the money twice. So, you know, I could show you my bank balance on my screen and say, look, I've got money, I'll pay you, but then go somewhere else and then show them the bank balance as well and say say the same thing, but I'm actually spending the money twice or, uh, you know, there's a, there's a risk that I might not have the money to cover both transactions. Um, I could fake the data. I could say, uh, look, here's my bank balance, but it might not be true. It could just be a screenshot of something else of my bank balance last week. And in some cases, it's important to have a record of the transaction, and that doesn't happen if um, if we just do it over a handshake. So that's a problem that we're trying to solve. The problem is how do we create trust, trusted transactions between two parties who don't trust each other and who don't want to use an intermediary like a bank or a financial trans. Uh, financial institution or somebody who's going to hold the money until the transaction is complete. Okay, so that's a problem that Bitcoin is trying to solve. Um, any questions about that? Let me just quickly stop and see if there's any questions that, that, that anyone has around it. Yeah, and this, and Jim's talking about blockchain being implemented. Um, yeah, and there are some examples of blockchain being implemented, but just keep in mind that a lot of the blockchain that's being implemented, sorry, I'm getting into a little bit of detail here, but Jim obviously knows about this. A lot of the blockchain that's being implemented is being implemented privately within organizations in a way that you could just do using other systems as well, like just databases. So I'm talking about the, the public blockchain, which will which we'll touch on as we go go through this here. So, so what is this Bitcoin and what's it all about? So how do, and how does it help solve the trust problem? So let me just explain what Bitcoin is. So, so Bitcoin's a currency. Um, it's a currency. It's, it's a way of um, storing value, uh, just like any other thing that we do, any other thing that we use as currency, like Australian dollars uh, or art. If you if you don't mind carrying really expensive artworks around with you and using them to pay for, pay at restaurants. It's a cryptocurrency because it's crypto is cryptography, which is based around strong security and um, encryption of, um, of passwords and things like that. So I'm, I'm, this one of those areas where I'm going to be a bit uh, vague, but it's, it's a currency just like anything else. So I don't want to talk about the whole history of money, but if you think about the way that currencies came about, it came about because of this, that in the old days, everything used to be done by barter before there was any money. So I go to a restaurant and uh, when I come to pay, I'll say, look, I'll give you two copies of my book because that's worth $60 and that's the cost of my meal. But then the restaurant owner goes, well, I don't want two copies of your book. So then I have to go and find somebody else who wants two copies of my book and who has something that the restaurant owner wants so that we have this transaction that uh, everyone's happy with. But, you know, that's hard to make happen and it's just not practical. So we invented currencies and we started with things like, let's say, gold, where I would swap things for some gold coins and then I'd give the gold coins to the restaurant owner who's happy to take them because he can then use them to swap with somebody else. And gold was inconvenient to carry around, so we switched to cash. So the gold was put in a vault and uh, we had little bits of paper as cash that we could then swap around, which actually represented the gold that was sitting in the vault. And now, of course, we don't even carry a lot of cash around with us, many of us, and we have digital money. So these are just numbers in a bank account somewhere. But because we trust the financial institutions to keep those numbers secure, um, everyone's happy to 
to deal with them and trade with them. So Bitcoin is another currency which is similar to digital money, except it's not stored in a central place and it's not managed by these financial institutions um, who keep our money safe. So it is a currency. Now, the thing with Bitcoin is that Okay, so it's not backed by gold, it's not backed by governments, it's not backed by the sort of things that other currencies are backed by. So how do you create it? You can't just give a Bitcoin to everybody in the world and say, well, okay, everyone starts with one Bitcoin or you, um, you know, there's got to be a way that people who, people earn Bitcoins. And the interesting thing is that it's based on something which is different from other currencies. It's based on maths. Math, if you're American. So it's based on mathematics. So the idea is that you have to work hard to earn a Bitcoin. Now, in the same way as in the old days, if you're a miner uh, and you're mining for gold, then you give up your job, you leave your family, you go on this trek, which might lead to nothing. But you hope that you put in a lot of work and you can you can mine some gold, which is going to have some value. Well, Bitcoin works the same way, except it happens electronically that um, the way that the Bitcoin system works is that you have to solve this very complicated mathematical problem. And uh, it takes a lot of hours, a lot of computing power to solve the problem. And if you solve the problem, then you earn a Bitcoin. So the people who solve the problem first uh, earn the first Bitcoins. And the way the system set up is the, the problems get progressively harder over time. So there's a finite number of Bitcoins that are going to be produced in the whole of history. So it's going to be like, I think, 21 million Bitcoins. And the, the problems become progressively harder. So the rate of creating Bitcoins gets slower and slower. So by 2040, all the Bitcoins in the world will have been created and minted. So the people who started off and got the early Bitcoins, they had an advantage because they were the early miners. And so they were rewarded for having those Bitcoins early. Like even now, where most of the Bitcoins have already been, if you like, minted, it, it's very, very, very hard to create a new Bitcoin and to solve those problems because the problems get harder and harder over time. So it's now much harder to create new Bitcoins, which is part of the reason why the, the value of Bitcoin goes up, because people say, well, there's only a few more coming out in the rest of history. Therefore, the ones we've got are going to be more and more valuable. And, and then other people say, well, no, I don't believe that. So that's why the price fluctuates. Okay, so is it just based on maths? Is it just picking numbers out of thin air? Um, not only maths, it's also, you know, you think that it's all just a computer going away and doing calculations, so it's all free, but it's not free because, of course, it requires electricity. And this is really electricity. You know, you're running a computer, it runs on electricity, not a lot of electricity, but to solve these problems it takes a huge amount of electricity. And you have people who've got banks of computer servers um, trying to solve this problem to generate the new Bitcoin. And it's generating real electricity, which comes from, say, coal-fired power stations, which comes from chopping down trees. And so we have the, the, the cost of creating Bitcoins comes from actual real physical resources, even though it seems like a mathematical problem. So this thing is called mining. So you can mine Bitcoins. And uh, as I said, there are a whole bunch of Bitcoins that were mined early. And now it's getting progressively harder to mine Bitcoin. So the system was set up. So there's a limited number of Bitcoins in history. It's because if you could create a massive number of Bitcoins and there was, there's an infinite number, then of course the value goes down because uh, it's the same as trying to print extra, extra money. The value of a, a dollar goes down if you suddenly um, double the number of, uh, the, double the amount of currency that's out in circulation. So the Bitcoin system was set up. So there's a fixed amount of Bitcoins and they started mining them early. And now it's getting progressively harder to create more Bitcoins. 
So I know this is kind of a weird thing to wrap your head around. It's like going, okay, well, is it like saying if I could play Candy Crush and I got a high score, those high scores on Candy Crush I could use as money? It's kind of like that. The difference is that it's a lot harder than Candy Crush and there's there's a limit to it. So no, okay, so that's that's the basis of how bitcoins are created. So it seems like it's been created out of nowhere, but in the same way as our Australian dollars are backed by real resources, bitcoins are also backed by real resources. The resource happens to be the amount of work you put in, uh, the amount of computing power you put in to create the bitcoin. So the it, it's just as valuable as any other currency because currency is based on something that's rare and scarce. So originally currencies were based on gold because gold was scarce. Now Bitcoin currency is based on the amount of work it takes to solve this problem because that was scarce as well. Okay, so that's kind of a weird thing to wrap your head around. So let me stop and just see if there's any questions around that. And then we go back to the restaurant payment question and that that scenario and I'll explain how Bitcoin um, helps with that transaction. Okay, so why does the value of Bitcoin go up and down? So it's it's really because of that. People are valuing it the same way as the Australian dollar goes up and down from time to time because people value it more. They they figure out that it's got greater buying power or, or lower buying power. Yeah, again, like very broad in very broad terms, it's the same with Bitcoin. That the bitcoins that are already in circulation, um, who knows what they're worth? They're only worth what they might be, what you might be able to use them for in the future. And so people are speculating about what that might be worth in the future. So that's why the price is fluctuating. It's like anything else. It's fluctuating more than anything else because uh, more than a lot of other things, because at the moment, nobody really knows how it's going to be used. Okay, let me continue. So let's go back to the question about the problem we're solving. So we want to get this restaurant. We want to pay the restaurant owner, but we don't want to use credit cards because we don't want to have to go through an intermediary. And the restaurant owner doesn't either. So let's say we both agree that we're going to do this through Bitcoin. So we're talking about sometime hypothetically in the future where we're going to go through where we're using Bitcoin to do this transaction. And we're worried about these problems that I could break my promise. I could not send in the money. I could spend the money twice with two different people and they wouldn't know. Um, I could show them a fake record of my bank balance or my Bitcoin balance or and there's no record of the transaction. So here's how it works in Bitcoin to solve those four problems. So I've got some Bitcoin and I'm going to pay the restaurant owner. So I set up a transaction, which means I tell the Bitcoin network that I want to transfer the money to this person, which is the restaurant owner. So what happens then is that somebody in the Bitcoin network, again, goes through this computing process to solve this problem and says, okay, I'll take on this transaction. So in other words, they act like the intermediary. They don't know who I am, but they can see my bank balance and they put in the work to solve this problem. So they put in a bit of effort and so they get the right to, to go through this and do this transaction. So the money ends up in the restaurant owner's hand. So how does it affect those four problems? So first of all, when I tell the Bitcoin network that I'm going to pay the money, then that's like me swiping my credit card. So I can't break their promise because it's now in the hands of that, um, that transaction person in the Bitcoin network. I can't spend the money twice because the Bitcoin network knows how much money I've got. And uh, if I try to spend it twice, they'll say, no, you haven't got the money in your bank in your bank balance or in your Bitcoin balance. And I can't fake the records because a whole Bitcoin transaction history is publicly available to everybody. It's like everybody can see everybody else's bank balances. They don't know who they are, but they can see who it is. So they can say, you know, user 
XYZ123 has this much Bitcoin in their account, and so they can complete this transaction. And there is a record because, as I said, every transaction is recorded. So it's not just the bank balances that are recorded, but also the history of each transaction. So you can see on each Bitcoin whose hands it's passed through. Okay, so in that way, it solves those problems of the those four problems of uh, breaking promises, the double spend. Uh, I can't fake the data because everybody has a copy of the whole Bitcoin database and they can see whether I'm telling the truth. And every record, uh, every transaction is recorded for history forever. Okay, so again, it's uh, it's a little bit different from the way the banking system works, but it solves that problem of trust. So we've got these two parties who don't trust each other, but they can create a transaction that is guaranteed to work um, the way that it would where you've got an intermediary who handles the trust. That's the advantage of Bitcoin. It solves that trust problem. So it's great, right? We should all adopt it as a currency because then we don't have to have banks, financial institutions. We don't have to worry about governments getting access to all our things, all our data. We've got this public ledger of everything that's happened with with all our transactions. So you can trace what's happened with money, but not so fast. So here's some current problems with it. So first of all, it's a bit slow. It's supposed to be fast, but it's getting slower and slower because the the system is kind of sagging under the weight of it at the moment. The Bitcoin database is huge and computing power at the moment is just not good enough to manage it right now. Now that might improve and you hope it will, but at the moment it's still, it's, it's slow and getting slower. So the Bitcoin enthusiasts are trying to find ways around that, but again, it's not quite there yet. The other thing is, is it's, it's expensive. You know, the whole Bitcoin system does use electricity. And at the moment, it's not a lot of electricity when you think about all the power that's used in the world. But when every financial transaction is done using Bitcoin, you know, assuming and that's what the, the utopian future is supposed to be, then it's using a huge amount of electricity for the computing power to run this system. And that's going to become overwhelming and we can't afford that at the moment. Again, we hope that there'll be alternatives to that, but at, at the moment, it's unproven. And the other thing at the moment is, is as, as you know, if you've seen the Bitcoin price going up and down all the time, it's a bit volatile. So if I buy a Bitcoin for $100, does that mean that I can then spend $100 tomorrow? Well, maybe not. Maybe that's gone down and its value has become a lot lower or maybe it's gone up and it's got higher. So you can't really use volatile currencies for everyday trading. And that's one of the problems at the moment. And the other big problem is at the moment, hardly anyone's using it. Uh, there are a few, uh, occasionally a few, see a few people who are trade, who will accept Bitcoin as payments, but not many at the moment. And for the for the three preceding reasons, uh, it's most people haven't adopted it yet. Most businesses haven't adopted it, and most consumers certainly haven't adopted it. Okay, so what's next? Well, my biggest concern, my biggest question about it is what I said right at the start, the actual use of Bitcoin and blockchain, the way I've described it, for you know, general public consumer transactions is almost zero. And that makes it very hard to make any sort of predictions about what it's going to do. So, you know, as a futurist, people ask me, what's this technology going to mean? And with some technologies, I can say, well, this is what it's being used for at the moment. And therefore, um, this is where I can see it heading. So if people ask me about driverless cars. I can say, yeah, you know, driverless cars are already in the trials that they've done and driving on regular roads already better than human drivers. So that's going to come in the future. You should be ready for it. 
or I was dealing with an aged care organization recently who asked me to do some consulting about innovative ideas to make sure their next facility they're building is going to be fit for the future. And I said, here, I did some research and said, here are 80 different things that other aged care facilities around the world are doing and also people outside aged care. And these are sort of things that you could incorporate because there's some real, real life case studies of the, and examples of these in practice. I can't do the same with Bitcoin and blockchain. And you see a lot of people talking about Bitcoin and particularly about blockchain, but most of the things they're talking about, uh, you'll hear the word potential or future or opportunity. If you hear people talking about this, ask them for specific examples of this in practice. And if they can't give you any, then just be wary of it. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. It's just that they're basing their conversation and their ideas on something that at the moment there's very little practical backing for it. Um, there's a lot of theoretical backing. And as you can see, the, uh, what I said was that the potential for it's huge, but until it, until the potential actually shows up in real life, in real life examples, then it is just potential. And uh, a lot of people in, in business circles are, are using the word blockchain because I reckon they're using it because um, it's topic of the day, it's flavor of the month. So if you say you've got some permission-based blockchain protocol that you're going to implement in somebody's corporate database, then the word blockchain means that you're probably going to get a meeting with some decision makers. Um, but, you know, is there anything underlying that um, or is it just the hype around it? And at the moment, because of the lack of actual implemented Im implementations and execution, I think a lot of it is still just hype. So it's too early. So that's why I said at the start that my, that my recommendation at the end or my suggestion is at the moment, you don't necessarily need to do anything practical about it. Um, I think it's worth continuing to learn about it. And uh, if you're interested in finding out more, there are two resources that I will tell you about. And by the way, these are on two extremes of the negative to positive scale when you talk about Bitcoin and blockchain. The first one is this book called Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain, which is a very negative view. Um, negative, but they're realistically looking at what's available at the moment and uh, you know, how, how is it being used in practice. And uh, it's, it's worth reading. It's an easy read and it's not very technical and it's worth reading. And the other one, which is very much on the positive side, is the, the book Blockchain Revolution by Don and Alex Tapscott, who are very well-respected business writers. And they talk about the potential of the blockchain for the future. So those are both good reads. And I recommend that you read them both if you're interested. Uh, I did because I want to I want to be across it. And I don't just want to have one view. I want to have a range of views. And I hope based on that range that I've given you some, I've filtered that and given you some information to get you going for the future. So thank you for coming along. As I said, the, my suggestion at the moment is that you don't really need to do anything like it about it. It's not like uh, augmented reality or virtual reality or driverless cars or some of the other things that I say that are worth um, investing time and energy and money in at the moment uh, for your business for the future. But at the moment, I think it's okay to do nothing about, around it. Okay, so I hope you find that interesting and I hope that you've come away now with a better understanding, even if it's only a basic understanding, of Bitcoin and the blockchain technology underlying it. And just in case you missed what I said earlier about getting access to the slides from the webinar, um, the slides are available on my website. So if you go to gihanperera.com, click the resources link and go down to podcast and you'll see a list of all the podcast episodes. So click on this one and you'll get the recording of this podcast episode as well as a download of the slides. So if you do want to go back and listen to this again, uh, but by tracking the slides as you go, then that's the best way to do that. You know, I'm usually 
pretty positive and always looking for the positive opportunities from any technology and trends. And you may be surprised that I've been a little bit negative about this. But to me, this is not about being optimistic or pessimistic. I'm saying that we really don't have enough information yet to be able to make an informed decision. So with things like Bitcoin and blockchain, I think they've got huge potential. I think the technology behind it and the idea behind it is genius, pure genius. And a lot of people talking about the potential of it. But as I said, there aren't any real case studies of it in action yet. So uh, as a futurist, my job is not to predict the future. My job is to look at what's happening elsewhere and figure out what that means for the future. And at the moment, if I look at Bitcoin and blockchain, what's happening elsewhere is that there's a lot of talk about it, but not much real practical action. And until we see that, until we see it being used in a number of different areas, it's very difficult to make an assessment about its future. Uh, it is hype. And at the moment, it's only hype. I would love to see some real examples of people using blockchain technology to solve real world problems. But um, as I've said, I don't think we're there yet. And uh, some of the, we've got some technological limitations and some computing limitations before we're there. So we're just not at the stage where we are able to make any sort of informed decisions yet. Now that might change and I hope it does change. And sitting here at the start of March 2018, that's my current assessment. In 12 months time, it might be that blockchain's taken over the world and we've got lots and lots of case studies and examples of it in action. And then we can talk about how that applies to your business and uh, your industry. Or it might be that it's all faded away because we never really solved the computing problems and the electricity problems and the, the climate change consequences of implementing these technologies at the moment. So at the moment, I think it's okay to sit back and wait, but I hope that you don't discard it forever. Uh, I hope that you revisit it perhaps in six to 12 months time and see if there are any real examples of it. Now, if you want to know what's on the horizon for the future, download my app, Fit for the Future, for your iPhone or your Android phone. And I created this app because many people come up to me after my keynote conference presentations and ask me how I do my own research, what blogs I read, what podcasts I listen to, what books I read, and they want some recommendations so that they can become fit for the future as well. So I created this app. I update it regularly with news, articles, videos, book recommendations, and other resources to help you become fit for the future. It's free and it's ad free so head over to the iTunes store or the Google Play store and just search for fit for the future and you'll find my app there I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and professional life and if you did get some value from it I would love it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating in the iTunes store in the podcast area and that helps to promote it to other people as well and if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference then check out my speaking topics and workshop topics at gihanspeaks.com and if you want to engage with me in other ways go to gihanparera.com where you can find my blog my newsletter my podcast videos and my free webinars series. They're all free and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of your organization, your team, and of course yourself, that you can become fit for the future. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. For show notes, past episodes, and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.